The following podcast is a Dear Media production. And just like that, your favorite besties and tastemakers, Benito Skinner and Mary Beth Barone are back. Did you miss us? You know they did. Join us every Wednesday on your way to Sephora to hear our witty, ridiculous and irreverent musings on life, the universe, existence and of course what we currently ride for. You're going to absolutely live slash die for this podcast. You might even, dare we say, ride for it. Hello from maternity leave. And I just want to say yet again, thank you for continuing to support me during this time. It means the absolute world to me. And I am so pumped about all of the content we have continuously coming out every Wednesday and for the ability to really take this time to focus on my family. This is one of the episodes where if I could make it a required listen, it would be. I feel like every once in a while we have these episodes where I just wish every member of the FF fam would download and listen to, and this is one of them. Today's guest is Paris McLean, who is a longtime good friend of mine. And we get into this in the episode, but like if there's one person who has played a huge role in how my life ended up in like a puppeteer stance, like in the background kind of pulling strings. It's really him if I think about it. And like I joke about this all the time, but like truly it is. And you'll understand why soon. But he has been so great to me over the years. And I so admire the work he is doing when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And these are conversations we've had off mic, off camera, around race and how to discuss this with our children and how it's largely incorporated and the focus of the work he's doing in the education system. And it's something I feel very passionately about and had a ton of questions on. So I figured why not have a longer conversation that would hopefully help you all as well as he helps me navigate this topic. So I hope you find this as informational and educational and insightful as I did. I think he is such a gift, and I'm so grateful that he had this conversation with us. So without further ado, here is Paris. Come on in, take a seat. So I want to set the stage for everyone because I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of owe you my life. <laughs> but really. Maybe. No. no, like honestly, if I think about people who had the largest impact on my life without like directly, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Almost like the puppet strings were happening in the background. Yeah, yeah. You're one of them because I would have never re- not that I knew, jo I did know Joe technically because we went to elementary school together, but like I wouldn't have dated Joe. Yeah, yeah. Which is wild to think <laughs> about like how much then changes from one small decision. Well, one single moment and you yeah. set your life on a trajectory. So for context, Paris, can I actually would love to know how old were you? Gosh, when I, I was 25. Okay. Because in my eyes, you were definitely like young. Like yeah. we all knew you were young. But Maybe then, I was 26, but definitely not older well, it was than that. 2007. 2007. Then, yeah, I would have been 26. Because we were talking about this when I try to explain to people how I know you, like when it's come up. Yeah. I'm like, well, he was Joe's basketball coach, but he's also like a really good friend of his and like a mentor. But how young was he? Like, because <laughs> when you're in high school, you feel like all the teachers just feel. They seem older. Older. But yeah. then when you're I felt that older age. older too. Like, yeah. then I had friends who were teachers post-college, and mm -hmm. they'd be, like, getting drunk with us at night. And I'm like, wait, you're going to teach tomorrow? Like, is that just what happened? <laughs> like, is that why all these elementary school teachers are rolling in TVs? So Paris was the teacher at the school that I went to, mm -hmm. and then Joe went to, and you were also the basketball head coach? Yeah, I was there for 11 years, but I was head coach for eight of those 11. And yeah. you taught second grade? Second grade, yeah, okay. good memory. I don't know how where I pulled that from, <laughs> quite honestly, but... You have played like a role in our lives 
since then. I mean, you saw the beginning of like our relationship. I remember when you two first started going out and then I would come to see you two in New York. And then yeah. I was very grateful to be invited to your wedding of as course. well. That was, a, that was a huge honor and a great moment to share with you both. I mean, you've played a very large role in my husband's life. So, of course. And also, I need to say that my mom is probably your biggest fan that exists <laughs> on this planet. Your parents are tremendous well, too. Well, yeah. she loves you. So this is a conversation that like, I've had a lot with friends of mine, mm -hmm. with Joe, with siblings, my parents, et cetera, as we've navigated now becoming parents. Mm -hmm. And I think over the years, especially starting in 2020 with the true Black Lives Matter movement with mm -hmm. the killing of George Floyd, like race just became more of a conversation. Yeah. And then adding in the fact that I have Black nephews that mm -hmm. then ties in a different aspect of this. I am really curious about like how to have the conversations around race with children. Yeah. And before we dive into it, I think you'd be the perfect person to have on here mm -hmm. because of what you're doing. So can you explain the work that you're doing with schools and yeah, all of that so that people have context of why? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm fortunate to be able to celebrate my 20th year in education and it's really run the gamut from being a classroom teacher to a principal to an assistant head of school, coaching and everything in between. But now formally, my role is specifically work around diversity, inclusion, equity work. And, you know, while those can be targeted or charged words for some, I really think of the work as creating space and access so that everyone in schools can fully participate. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at policies, I'm thinking about curriculum, I'm working in training our educators. And while I would say that's always been a theme of all of my work throughout every sort of touch point, this is the first time where it's my full-time job, my full capacity, and the work that I do both here at the school I'm currently at and Fortunately, being able to travel around and work with other schools, both here in the States and then also in Canada. Right, the work yeah. you're doing in Canada as well. Mm -hmm. And when I say my mom is his biggest fan, just because a lot of people know who my mom are on the show because yeah, people yeah, love yeah. her. You guys work together correct, on the board of the school that we went to yes. specifically on like a DEI team. Am yes. I wrong? Yep. Okay, yep. Right. So, and something she always says, which I totally agree with, is that your approach to the topic and language is so welcoming and inclusive. Mm -hmm of everyone, because this is a conversation that I believe everyone should be having. And I think it can be a touchy subject for some. And I know we talked about this when you came over of yeah. like some people and not to stereotype, I know people like this who are white become very defensive over the topic because mm -hmm. it's like, well, I had a hard upbringing. I don't have white privilege. Mm -hmm. And those two things are not the same. Like you can have struggles, yet you are still white and hold white privilege. Absolutely. and. I feel the way that you have these conversations and discuss the topics are very inclusive for everyone to feel like they can grow and learn. Mm -hmm. Well, so I appreciate that. Really quick, you know, one yeah. of the things that I talk about is when, when folks try to categorize this work as an initiative, like, oh, well, when is this initiative over? When is this diversity work going to be done? And never. I like it's it's never done. Right. Because if we were to say we don't need to think about who we are, who others are, the role that we play in this world, that would then imply that what is humanity over is mm -hmm. the human existence over is human experience over. And I think if we really look at it from a lens of we all play a role knowingly or unknowingly in the complexity of this world. OK, well, then what position do I have mm -hmm. in this and what is it? What is my responsibility and opportunity to just learn, grow, and be the best version of myself. Absolutely. And, you know, there are plenty of things, and I know we discussed this when I look back, that I am like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that oh, or I did yeah. that. And Same. that's a lot of personal work and ownership that I've taken. But I do feel that it's our responsibility, especially as parents, to help prep our children yeah. the best way we can. Mm -hmm. So as a white person, and I do mm -hmm. know that, majority of my listeners, not all, but majority mm -hmm. are white. I find it very interesting that, or not interesting, I just think it's a fact. Growing up, I don't think white kids were talked to about their whiteness. Mm -hmm. I never had a conversation around like, hey, you're white. This is what it means. Yep. This is what that looks like. Where, correct me if I'm wrong, that conversation I've been told and I believe happens a lot in 
particularly black households of like, mm-hmm. this is what it means to be black. This is what yeah. is going to potentially happen in mm-hmm. the future. And these are- These might be some of your experiences. Exactly. Yep. Two things I'm constantly prioritizing and encouraging everyone else to as well are my mental and physical health. For me, this starts with my morning routine. I am prioritizing my mental health by having some necessary alone and quiet time before taking on my day and simultaneously prioritizing my physical health with including nutritional supplements like AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for over five years now. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I noticed I had increased energy first thing in the morning and that it helped with my digestion throughout the day. As a creature of habit, it is my absolute preferred method to start my day. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Because I'm recommending AG1 to anyone with ears, I love seeing my friends and family also get hooked and join the daily AG1 train. I am obviously a fan of the company, but my husband is truly their number one supporter. Without fail, he is making his glass of AG1 every single morning, first thing when he comes downstairs before starting his workout. He feels it helps him feel more energetic in the morning and that he is getting the nutrients his body craves first thing. AG1 takes all the guesswork out of trying to combine the right supplements. It provides multiple products in one easy scoop, which is a true win-win. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash FFF. That's drinkag1.com slash FFF to check it out. Oh my gosh, I forgot how thirsty breastfeeding makes me. I obviously remember it like being a symptom from the last time around, but I kind of forgot how like all consuming this entire act is and how much you need to remain hydrated. Not only are you just thirsty 24 freaking seven, but we also know that hydration is key for maintaining your milk supply. Thankfully, I have packets upon packets of Element to help replenish my electrolytes on a daily basis. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't, which means a lot of salt with no sugar. This product contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio with none of the junk like coloring, artificial ingredients, and other BS additives. Whether you overdid it this past weekend, you were breastfeeding like me, or you're working out a ton, or you're just trying to keep an active lifestyle, replenishing electrolytes is super important. Element has so many delicious flavors, but I have been loving my two favorites, which are citrus salt and watermelon salt over ice in my water bottle to keep me hydrated and going. The way I absolutely down these during a breastfeeding session is an unparalleled speed. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash Cameron. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K lmnt.com slash Cameron. Plus, Element offers no questions asked refunds. So try it completely risk-free. There is truly nothing to lose. As a biracial person, Uh what was your relationship like around this topic growing up? Oh, wow. We're jumping right into it. Yeah, well, I I want to lay some groundwork. Cammy, I mean, yeah, this is is great. This is great. Wow, led with the punchline too. So (laughs) contextually, yes, I am biracial. My father's black. My mother's white. I was raised in an all-white environment, so mm-hmm. I didn't have a relationship, a consistent relationship with my father's side of the family. So I didn't see him or any family mem- members from that side a lot. So I didn't have, I would say, the visual role models. Okay. But I knew early on I was different, and I didn't know what it meant. My earliest memory about feeling black or knowing that my skin color was different than my mother's, my grandparents, my cousins, like you go to these family gatherings and I kind of stood out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty quick. I was probably about four, maybe 
five, um, there's this like core memory I have. My grandfather. So I lived with my grandparents too. I don't know if you okay, knew I that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I either lived with just my mom or my mom and I lived with my grandparents while, okay. I, while I grew up. And, you know, you're looking for that male role model. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was that for me. And I would climb on him and go outside and play and those types of things. He worked in the yard a lot. So he tanned really dark. Okay. And I thought he was black. And I remember I put my hand next to his and I was like, oh, you're black just like me. And he said, no, Paris, I'm white. And I I remember like visibly like getting upset and physically crying and and then shouting something to the degree of like, I'm the only one. I'm the only mm-hmm. one. And he pulled me in and he said, we love you. That's what you need to know. We love you. But that was my first touch point of knowing, hmm, my personhood my person would be different anyway because I'm my own individual, but my skin color is different than that of my family. It's different than those I'm being raised around. I wouldn't say I didn't, I I probably wasn't until I was like nine or 10 when my mom started having explicit conversations with me and God bless her. I look back, single white woman raising a biracial boy in the eighties through the early nineties. Like that was hard. And she was doing the best that she could. Mm -hmm. And just reminding me that, Hey, here are some of her experiences she had seen from friends and maybe even some experiences she had with my father and then just trying to do the best that she could. But those are sort of two moments I can target. Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. And this leads me to a listener question, but also something I wanted to touch on Mm -hmm. when it comes to specifically biracial children. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's this fetishism Mm -hmm. that occurs that you witness maybe as a white person that some people have around mixed race children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I noticed it very much so right before my biracial nephew was born of people making offhand remarks, not knowing that they're based in some form of, I don't know if racism is the word, Mm -hmm. but so many people being like, oh my God, it's going to be the cutest mixed race baby. Like the cute, like, I I can't explain it. And Mm -hmm. I knew that it made me feel personally icky. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've said comments similarly in the past. But I think once my eyes were kind of opened to more, I realized that there was rooting in those comments that I didn't appreciate or like or agree with. And this was a a question that someone submitted of like, how do we respond to that as potentially the white parent of a mixed race kid? Because I do think Mm. the white parent, whether it be the male or the female, may receive more of the offhand commentary from other white people without yeah. them, the the person speaking, realizing what they're saying. Understood. Yeah. I, I, in, in some ways, it's a, a tough question for me to answer for two reasons. And one, I just want to be transparent with all those who are listening. I don't have children, right? right? Mm-hmm. So while I work closely with kids and I have for 20 years, I don't have any children of my own. And mm-hmm. I recognize everything I share are just my observations and my suggestions. I, I think where, where it gets dangerous in this work is where we say, this is the only way to do it. And there isn't I, an only right? way. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm offering suggestions. I've never experienced that, that, that piece okay. of, of fetishism. I do hear that comment of, wow, this baby's going to be so beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I always wonder when I hear those, is it about the union of the two people coming together, the beauty of, wow, white people and a person of Mm -hmm. color can have a mixed race child and it's more typical than let's say it was 15, 20, or even most Mm -hmm. definitely 30 years ago. The fastest growing population in the U.S. are multiracial children. Exponentially, that number has grown from the 2010 census to the 2020 census. We even see it in the school that Mm -hmm. I'm at currently. I think those would be conversations you'd have to have with the partner too. Yeah. Sometimes you can't troubleshoot those in real time because it, it lands on your doorstep. It's right in front of you and you're like, whoa, you respond. You try not to react. But then I would suggest maybe checking in with your partner. How did Mm -hmm. that land with you? How did that resonate with you? And then plan for if there is a next time, right? And I also, yes. And I think what I've responded, and you can tell me if you think this is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. What I've responded when I've gotten those comments is why? Why do you think so? Mm -hmm. Because again, it could be Why is important. Oh, well, the two people are so stunningly beautiful. Like, you know- People might have said that about, I'm not saying we're suddenly beautiful, but like people will say, oh my God, I can't wait to see your kid. It's going to be so cute. Like yeah. the two of you. I mean, you, you and Joe look great. <laughs> I agree, but, but I think that like there is this, I've watched a few videos where this topic has come up mm-hmm. from anti-racist educators where in their defense on these commentary, it's like, well, why, at what point does my 
black child, specifically a male, Mm -hmm. stop being so cute and someone that's so adorable and start being seen as a threat. Yeah. And why are they potentially not, I don't know if fetishize is the right word, but why Mm -hmm. are they like sought after Mm -hmm. when they're little Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then they hit a certain age and you're afraid of them? Yeah. I mean, well, to to answer that second part, I mean, that's, historical context of the super predators of the the 90s when you, you you were we were seeing in the US in particular black children children of color in particular males being seen as physical threats mm-hmm. and that language that messaging then being deep rooted or positioned in a way that has carried over time right I, I think that there are definitely still whispers and echoes of that do I feel like we've improved as a as a society, of course, I can see some incremental gains, but you're right. Those are still very real, real moments that could land on our on our children's uh, feet, for sure. So within this topic, when are you finding, and I, again, there's mm-hmm. no right answer, yeah. but when should we start having these conversations with our kids? Mm-hmm. And does that answer differ depending on the race of the family, the child, or yeah. is it kind of like, around this age is when you can actually start to integrate this and how do you even begin this conversation? Yeah, it's a, I've been thinking a lot about that recently and I guess in some ways it's a little bit like other milestones. Mm-hmm. Children learn to read at different ages, learn to walk at yeah. different ages. Some children are more verbal, some children are more artistic, right? So I, I wouldn't want to say four is the right age or seven's the right age, mm-hmm. but we know that our young children, our young people can start to recognize difference. Yes. They're going to be able to notice skin tone, eye color, hair color, and they're curious. And really that's what it's about. Children are curious. So they're going to point out observations. This person looks like, or this person has. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think once you notice your young person starting being to be able to discern and make those observations, that's when you can start to plant the seeds for early conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, Do I think that some families may feel a responsibility or a necessity to speak sooner about race? Probably. I could see, I imagine some families of color that I've worked with where they felt as though they needed to have the talk Mm -hmm. earlier than some of their counterparts. So obviously it's a family choice, but I always lean on thinking of those developmental milestones, thinking about our child or our children and how they're making observations of the world. And then using that as an avenue in to have the conversation. I will say like, and some people may think this is wild, but our son is about to be two and a half Mm -hmm. or by the time it's releases is is two and a half. And it's a conversation that we're starting to talk about having because he is so free. I mean, you know him. So verbal, Mm -hmm. so observant. And I told you, I was like, we've been in situations where I'll use two examples where he will see a bald person and he immediately is like, Paca. Yep. He looks like Paca because <laughs> my dad is bald. Mm-hmm. But then it's happened with race. Yes. And he has asked if that is a black person in our life that we know, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was just another black, like it was a different black person. Yep. Well, and I'm like, I feel no shame over him. I mean, part of me is like, don't go around to telling people they're bald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when he's like calling my bald friend, my dad, yeah. I'm like, no, 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 stop. But when it happened with the race, I was like, oh my, I was so mortified. Mm. And I know you asked me like, why? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily see it. But look, again, I'm not a parent. Kid's not mine. However, I could see where that rub would be. But I always get I, to the question, the why. I think for me, it was like, I am very aware that I'm raising a privileged white male mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the reality. Yep. He is white. He is born male. I'm mm-hmm. not going to get into all of that later in life, but as of right now, mm-hmm. and he's growing up in a wealthy family. Yeah. So like I realize that I have a responsibility to implement certain things within his behaviors to treat others respectfully and mm-hmm. equally, et cetera. Yeah. And the privileges that he holds. Mm-hmm. And so I think when that happened, I was like, oh, my fucking God. Like, <laughs> are you? Sure? I'm like, stop talking. Stop talking. Yeah. Because I also I think it also goes into this stereotype of like someone thinking all black people look alike. Of course. Which yep. like that's not it. He doesn't. That's not he a learned behavior. No, but like no. it, he's a toddler and he was making Correct. a correlation. Yeah. And that's and I and I think I believe both in the share and when we talked about that in real time, mm-hmm. you handled it beautifully because the opposite that to that would be to shame. Wrong. 
don't say that mm -hmm. and not giving the why or the learning moment, right? Mm -hmm. If we compare the opportunity with the learning moment, and look, I don't expect to have a, a, a thoroughly deep conversation with a two and a half right. year old. However, you can plant that seed. Now, a four and a five year old, a six year old, a mm -hmm. 10 year old, okay, we might be, we would be able to carry a more nuanced conversation as to the, the, the why and the how and the what. Okay, right. so let's workshop this. Yeah, for sure. So imagine this is happening in my scenario, mm -hmm. as it did. He's two and a half. Yeah. I said, no, that's our, like, it was a server at a restaurant. We were uh -huh. at. I was like, no, that's our server. Like, we can ask his name. I don't know his name, but like when he comes yep. over, I was like, yes, he's tall and, mm -hmm. you know, but that's. <laughs> Has certain features that look yeah. similar. <laughs> yes. Similarly to when he calls my bald friend Paca, I'm like, yes, yeah. he doesn't have, he has little hair like he calls mm. my dad. Now. That's kind of where we left it. Mm -hmm. I don't actually recall if I said, yes, his skin color is black also. Mm -hmm. What if he was five? Like, mm -hmm. what would that style of conversation look like, do you think? Or would you recommend? Same. same so same scenario, just change the age. Mm -hmm. I think then you could, well, let, let, let's take a step back, right? Okay. I really like the way you approached it with the, the server in the restaurant to say like, what's their name? Right. Like, mm -hmm. let's, well, get like, know, let, let, like let's get to know, let's get to know that person. I think that's a really safe entryway too mm -hmm. to talk about human experience. Each person is different. People may look similar and people may have shared experiences, but at the end of the day, each person is living their own life. Yep. Right. For a five-year-old, I'm going to actually, uh, I might try to tell a story here to of attach course. that. I was working at a school one time and I had a fourth grader a black fourth grader come up to me pretty incensed and came down to my office and he was like, Mr. McLean, the, this kindergartner at the school was being racist. I said, okay, like, let's, let, let's talk about that. What happened? I really was curious and I wanted to support the, the fourth grader too. And he said, this kindergartner came up to me and told me that he loved my milk chocolatey skin. And I asked, I said, well, how'd that make you feel? Mm -hmm. said, well, you know, I felt, and I'm using my own words here right. in a way, I felt othered. I felt like he wasn't seeing me. I felt like he just saw my skin color. And I was like, okay, you owned your feelings. We know your position. All right. Mm -hmm. I said, let's maybe look at this also from another lens. Does What experiences does this five-year-old have? Maybe they were also making an attachment to something they knew in their life, in their current sphere of influence, that they really enjoyed and made mm -hmm. the observation back to you and in, a, in their five-year-old way was trying to explain that they really like you and they really enjoy your characteristics and features. So I could see both sides to that, right? right. Why that fourth grader was impacted and also how that kindergartner, that five-year-old was age-appropriately naive mm -hmm. in, how, in how they were trying to engage. So I think for speaking to a five-year-old about that, maybe even before getting into a black person or a white person, let's start the conversation with our family. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's mommy's skin color? What's daddy's skin? What's your skin color? We can have the conversation with self and build up to that moment. I think that that's a really key fundamental piece that sometimes gets lost in the work. And we try to talk about the other first versus, well, hey, what, let's talk about ourselves. And we can have that conversation around black identity in, in obviously in a five-year-old way. I think children's literature is some of the best. I best, was going to ask if you had recommendations. Best resources, best, best resources. I won't give a specific book, mm -hmm. but I will give a specific site to check out. Perfect. There's this place called Lee and Low Books, Lee, L-E-E -E, and Low, uh, L-O-W. They're the largest producer of multicultural, multiracial and diverse text in the United States. And you can literally find touch points on almost all walks of identity and personhood. I would encourage families, including the, having the classics in there, whatever mm -hmm. books they want, to have books with characters and people that reflect our greater society yes. so that you can go back to and refer to a text, to a nighttime read, mm -hmm. and continue to reintroduce these identities. This is actually people. something I've been wondering when it's going to arise in our specific household, because mm -hmm. we have a few books that are like specifically talking about race, actually, yeah. like anti-racist baby. I don't know if mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, we have that one. We My mom got this whole set of books that are too old for him, but it's like how to talk about white privilege, how to talk about <laughs> et cetera. But they're yeah. in his 
stack of books. But then there are books where characters are just simply different colored skin. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing about specifically race. Yep. And I've been curious, just observing how observant our child is and how much he loves to read and mm-hmm. all of these things. Like he reads a book every single night. You would appreciate it. It's called yep. Goodnight Basketball. I love it. Him and Joe read it every <laughs> night. But the three characters are black, the mother, yep. father, and son. And it has occurred to me when I'm like, I do wonder at what age, if it'll happen, mm-hmm. he'll start asking about some of the characters in books because I actually meant to tell you this. There's yeah. a Jimmy Fallon book called uh, Nana. Uh-huh. And it's like, I love you. I've actually never read it to him. Joe has, but it, I don't know. He's obsessed with it right now. Okay. And there's a page that must say they go to Paris uh-huh. because there's an Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yep. And on one page, there's the Eiffel Tower. And on the other page, there's like a flying dog. Mm-hmm. And there's a page where they're playing music. And so he's like, I want to see the music page. And then he'll open the Paris, the page where they're in Paris. And he goes, mommy, is the dog Paris? Is uh, that my Paris? Uh, he calls you his Paris. <laughs> And I'm like, no, that's not your Paris. Paris yeah. is also a place. So, like, there is the observation. Correct. So I do wonder, like, when that moment will happen. And I do think that it can only be helpful to have books like this because mm-hmm. I reference even, like, a show that he watches or something. I forget. I, I reference Frozen a lot sometimes. Oh, he yeah. if he wants a brother or a sister. I'm uh-huh. like, a sister is like Elsa and Anna. Like, yeah. they have a sister. So I do think having books could only serve a beneficial purpose. Absolutely. They're just another touch point in the child's life. They have their lived experience and Mm -hmm. whoever is in that family unit. And then what are those other experiential moments? Well, it could be obviously school or daycare or or, or friends or playgroups, but then texts are a great way. And shame on me, I left out my favorite book to use. There's an author by the name of Todd Parr. Um, His first book, I believe it was his first book, was called It's Okay to Be Different. And what I really appreciate about it is the centering that different isn't dangerous Mm -hmm. and that we're all different. And they kind of do a compare and contrast in a way um, in some parts of the book where it's like, it's okay to be short. It's okay to be tall. It's okay to wear glasses. It's okay to have wheels. It's okay to have two moms. It's Mm -hmm. okay to have two dads. And what it does for me, that book, is it thoughtfully highlights how difference is beauty and difference is the world that we live in. And there's more similarities to our differences than we may think. And I like that it doesn't, I don't like using the word normalize. Mm -hmm. Because for me, if we try to normalize something, it's, well, then does that mean something counter to that is abnormal? It makes it typical. And if we can make things typical and tangible for our young people, the access points and and the gateways are are that much greater. I agree. And also just going back to what you were saying of like starting the conversation with self mm-hmm. instead of other, I do also think is important and goes back to what I kind of said in the beginning is I don't remember ever having a conversation yeah. about being white. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone of my generation, I'm not, I'm not going to say anyone, but most people I think of my generation would say that, and especially before that, they didn't have a conversation about being white as a kid. Yeah, It was, if anything, conversation about other races, Correct. which I think, as you mentioned, then points out like, oh, well, they're different, Correct. not we're different. <laughs> exactly. And, or we're all different. Right. And I just happen to be in this position for myself. You know, my mom gave me some, and this wasn't until later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, she had said, Paris, you need to understand when you walk through the door, the first thing people are going to see are a six foot three black man. Mm-hmm. And with that can come the beauty, can come the acceptance, and also can come misconception, stereotype, prejudice. I'm very cognizant of my presence. I recognize, like, again, I walk in the room. I You're a big dre- guy. I have, I'm a big guy. I have dreadlocks. I have tattoos. I have, I have these pieces that make me. And it's all humans carry bias. Mm-hmm. Our brains are filtered that way, right? We, re- we receive information. The information's filtered through. And as we start to see similar information, we can start to develop hidden biases, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a reality. How can we as adults thoughtful adults, educating and working with our young people, um, acknowledge those points, but also create moments where we can bring people to the table who are similar to us, who are different than us, and learn from one another. Just have a conversation, spend time with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look, I've, again, I've known you for a very long time. I think when I, when I think back to your experience, and I would say our shared experience, although I was teaching and you were a student, your friend group was fairly diverse. What? You had... I I would say I... I I'm thinking of some of the teams you were on. I guess. I would say I grew up in a very white world. Yeah? Personally. Okay. 
And that, like, I mean, yes, I had friends of other mm-hmm. races. And, but okay, literally, this is something that this we is, talk this about is, And this is great, too, right? Because okay. we have two different perspectives yeah. here. So my best friend from uh-huh. PDS, yeah. Lizzie, who's mm-hmm. been on the show, she's Asian. Yeah. And we were very good, are still very good friends with Theo, mm-hmm. who's black. Yeah. The three of us called ourselves the Model UN, which is so <laughs> fucked. And, like, I've talked to them about it. Where yeah. I'm like, I don't think it was me being like, guys, we're the Model UN. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's shit where I look back and I'm like, oh, God, I want to cringe. Of course. Not that I labeled us that. Like, I don't know which one of us came up with this. And it was like a, a joint thing that we joked about. And we're still all good friends. But yes, like I definitely had some friends of other races. But I mm-hmm. feel like my experience at PDS was very white. Yeah, indeed. And I think both things can be true. I actually think we're kind of saying the same thing yeah. just in our own ways, right? The PDS experience was predominantly white. True. True. Your experience, you just said, you, Lizzie, Theo, that yeah. was like a core Shout group. Shout out, of, Theo, I love you. It's <laughs> my guy. That was a core group of friends for you. True. So yes. while living in a predominantly white space, you had a social, I don't want to say this, a, a social awareness or social access or social experience that was more diverse than the majority at the mm-hmm. school. And then obviously through athletics and other things, yes. yeah, the, the, that adds to the diverse context of the school. Yeah. And I think that's actually something that someone asked as a listener, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're now experiencing for the first time our son being in a school. Yeah. And it's a conversation I have with a lot of my friends in neighboring towns of like, what's the diversity like in your classroom? Mm -hmm. He's in a school where I don't know statistically, but I would say almost half of the class Mm -hmm. is person of color or black. Yep. And- I think because of that, he's going to be, and because of our mixed families, mm-hmm. like he will be aware of race at an earlier age than I'm sure I was. Absolutely. Yeah, or than I some kids might be. Yeah. But a few people wrote in, like, I live in a very white town. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. kid is surrounded by only white people. Yeah. How do I approach this topic? Because to them, I could understand as a kid, if you're only seeing white or if mm-hmm. you're a black child, only in a black community like that is other than yeah absolutely uh, i guess that's a two-part question for me right um mm-hmm. starting first with diversity how far are we willing to stretch diversity right race is one part of living in a diverse world mm-hmm. obviously we're going to need to look at gender socioeconomic status i think as we continue to at least the work that i'm trying to do let's look at family structure. Let's look at learning differences. Let's look at physical ability all as a part of diversity. So when I have folks ask me, well, how diverse is your school? I'll often ask back, how do you define diversity? Because I I, I define diversity in in maybe ways that they are not. And Mm -hmm. not that one is right or one is wrong. It's just that I want to be able to have a level set and be able to talk, Mm -hmm. not talk past one another. So I'm always trying to stretch that theme of what diversity is. For folks who are living in spaces where maybe they are not as racially diverse as ethnically diverse, there's a few strategies I think you could do. Number one, how invested are, how able are people to get into other parts of the community? Again, I think athletics, co-curriculars, or other team or Mm -hmm. um, organized spaces, even if it's outside of your community, even if you have to sign up for something the next town over or two towns over to have that diverse experience. I'm thinking of a dear friend of mine who went to PDS as well. He and I graduated together. Their family lives in a fairly white part of Philadelphia. He signed his son up for a basketball league closer to uh, an area that had more diversity, Mm -hmm. racial diversity, because that was important to he and his family. Obviously, and and this is, you know, touch and go a little bit. What TV shows are you watching? What film and media are you putting in front of your children? Going back to text and books as well. Being mindful of of your your play dates and your play groups. Something that I experienced at PDS, and I would share this with anyone to think about the reciprocity of friendship and the reciprocal nature of it, making sure that it's not a one-way visit, that the play dates aren't always at just one person's house for whatever reason. Maybe it's the bigger house or it's in the nicer part of town or making sure that the play dates go both ways. Because I can remember, you know, I found most of my time going to my friends' houses in the Princeton area versus them coming down to see me and where I grew up. Um, so I'm very mindful of that when I when I speak with families. Interesting you say that because not coming from a racially diverse mindset, but a mm-hmm. socioeconomic, I had a 
very good friend for a long part of my life. I never once saw her home. Mm -hmm. And it was not in the sense of we were not willing to travel. It was out of the sense of I don't want you to. Yeah. There was, I think, some mm -hmm. shame there that yep. on their end. Yeah. And I didn't realize how obvious it was or how different it was than my other relationships mm -hmm. until I got older and reflected on that and was like, wow, that's not what happened in yep. any of my other friendships. Yep. That's a really good noticing, right? And I think that when I work with schools too, and I ask them, I say like, all right, let's look at your practices. Let's look at your traditions. Let's, let's look at your policies. Something as benign as the class party, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, well then who gets to host the class party? Whose house is large enough to host the class party? Who has enough resources? And by no means am I suggesting that uh, anyone who is of wealth or extreme wealth to feel shame, like cheers for you, you hustled mm -hmm. for it, you earned it, like got it. And that's not to say that the family of, I'll use, I'll create an example using my background, my single mother, when we were living in a one bedroom apartment, mm -hmm. she would have loved to have hosted the class party. Our house wasn't able to, we couldn't fit it. Right. So I challenged schools to say, well, why don't you host them at neutral sites? Why don't you host them on campus, mm -hmm. right? To diffuse some of the visual differences or some of the inequities that could come with that. Small little things can can make a shift like that. Even think back to when we were at PDS, right? Remember junior and senior privilege? Uh, yeah, I had mine rescinded. <laughs> we can get into that another time. No, it was literally <laughs> bullshit. I went to Wawa. And I had an in-school suspension and got okay. my privileges rescinded. All right. Well, I didn't get to go on senior project, so we can unpack yeah. that some other time too. But do you remember what that policy was? You were allowed to drive mm -hmm. off campus or Correct. leave campus Correct. for free periods. Correct. If I thought it was like grade-based or was mm -hmm. it not? Yeah, if you were a junior or senior. If you were a junior in, or senior. In good academic had, standing. Yeah, because I did not have it junior year because I was not in good academic standing. Okay. And then senior year, I had it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I had it taken away junior, but either way, <laughs> yeah, I would have had it taken away junior. There was one year where I went to Wawa and I was uh -huh. caught by a teacher. Yep. A teacher straight up ratted me out. Yeah. And I got in school suspension, which I thought was absurd. Yep. But I wouldn't say that the punishment met the crime, yes, but that's a I just wanted a hoagie. <laughs> but I, I do remember being academic and I remember mm -hmm. having them senior year because Joe and I would literally like leave campus. I, to I go remember cool around I'd, at my mom's. I'd, I'd, try to, I'd try to find him for like a film <laughs> session. I'd be like, where's Joe? OK, but let's think about the policy on, on its nature. Yeah. If you are a junior or a senior, that is your affinity. That's your commonality. You have earned this privilege. You can leave campus on a free period or lunch. And if I remember correctly, at the end of the day, if you didn't have class last period, you could leave yes, campus. You could right. go home early. And you could show up late if you didn't have if period. If you didn't have period. If you didn't have a class first period. Well, what is that assuming? That you have access to a car. That you have access to a car. You you're have close. You're close. You have disposable income to be able to go off campus. Mm -hmm. And it's not taking into consideration potentially children who maybe need to ride the bus or right. need to share a vehicle. Or again, have to use the school meal plan versus mm -hmm. going off campus. So a very well-intended policy Never once thought that about was that, supposed to, to create access for everyone by design unintentionally omitted folks. And I remember having, um, when I first started at PDS as junior, like a really uncomfortable moment because I didn't know what it was. And next thing I knew, I was in my friend's car hitching a ride into town. Mm -hmm. And then we were at Hoagie Haven. And then I'm Always. like, oh shit, I don't have any money. I didn't plan for this. Now you're in the awkward conversation of like, yo, could, could you loan me $5, mm -hmm. right? And now it starts to unintentionally place our young people in positions that we could probably avoid. So I really challenge schools to just not say no to these things, but to just say, are these access points truly inclusive for everyone? And I never would have thought about that. And it's interesting because mm -hmm. coming at it from my perspective, I'm young for our grade. So mm -hmm. I didn't have my license until right before senior year, yep. like the first so There's week. another piece to it. Yeah, age. So right? yes, but because it was age and not mm -hmm. a like socioeconomic, yep. I don't think I ever felt othered in a way of, I don't want to put an emotion on you, but the emotions you were feeling, mm -hmm. I was just like, well, this fucking sucks. I don't have my license. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, God, why am I the youngest? But it wasn't mm -hmm. this sense of like, I feel othered. What are these icky emotions? And 
I think that right there is something that like I just never would have thought about that mm-hmm. coming from the socioeconomic privileges that I had. Yeah. Because to me, it was just like this rules. I get to go into town and Correct. eat lunch. Like, yep. yeah. And again, I'm never telling folks, like, and then choose this as the case study. I'm not saying that shouldn't be in place. Right. But I am, what I do suggest um, anyone does is just ask hard questions mm-hmm. and be like, how could this be better? Is this truly reaching all of our young people or whatever population we're trying to serve? How far can we stretch and make this work and, yeah. and, and reach? Yeah. I want to get into some listener questions that were submitted. And I know I've asked a few as we've been going, but going back to the concept of a biracial child, Mm -hmm. how to explain that the parents' races are different to the child and maybe like what those races not include, but like how you're going to be in a world where when you spend time with one part of your family, Mm -hmm. you may feel more comfortable or you might look like them. And when you spend time with another part of your family, they will look differently than you. Absolutely. I would say, well, there's a great book, number one. Um, I'm thinking that there's this book, I think it's called Mixed Me. It's by Tay Diggs, actually. I actually have read it. Yeah. I I think that's a really great book because it highlights how both parents have different races Mm -hmm. and then how I think the character's name is Mike. It comes out Mm -hmm. and it's like, hey, I'm mixed Mike. I'm half my mom. I'm half my dad. And it goes through all of these these touch points. I I look at those family differences and family structures as an opportunity for celebration, too. Hey, here's how mom's side how here's what we get together around and celebrate and here's how our family structure functions here's what dad's side celebrates and here are some of their traditions i would say that's probably something not probably it's definitely something i missed in my upbringing because i didn't have direct access to uh, my father's side of the family my black experience was shaped through my experience how people perceived me and then the friends i kept Right. And uh, interestingly, I found myself with a lot of black male friends and we could, who knows what that means, right? I was going to say, looking for. (laughs) You're looking for attachment, looking for familiarity. We can unpack this another episode, Mm -hmm. Cami. I don't, I (laughs) I actually, I don't think you know this. So born an only child, raised as an only child until I was 26. I found out I was actually, I'm actually one of five. Wait. Does Joe know this? I don't think so. Okay, because I was having this conversation about this happening to someone else. And I, for a second, was like, did I hear about this, that it was you? But no. Wow. Yeah, so I'm actually one of five. And have you formed relationships with those people? Um, I have loosely. Um, My sister and I are are actually growing closer together, which is pretty great. I'm going to be 42. So that means she's probably 38, I think, maybe 37. But again, I didn't have those experiences until I was 26, 27, where I really started to, I can't even say reconnect, but like start to form. Learn about that. Yeah, start start to learn. Yeah. Exactly. And are they mixed race as well? Absolutely. Like, yes. Definitely. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Not all of them. Not all okay. of them. My oldest sister is, is not mixed race. My other sister is, and my two brothers are. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a whole different yep. experience. Of oh, all. there's a great story that goes behind it too. Yeah. Of like, wait, how that happened? Well, I've had some friends that this has actually happened to, and mm-hmm. I think it's only going to happen more now that we've got like 23 and me and yeah. all of these things like coming mm-hmm. out. That's how I'm hearing of it happen. So I think what you're saying though is so important to be able to, I think celebrations are, is such an easy entryway into 100%. that conversation. But you know what? You used a word that was really important, right? I mean, it was comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think you might've even said, and forgive me if I misquote you here, like you may be more comfortable in one space than the other, Yeah. right? One way to gain more comfort or have the opportunity to gain more comfort is to get closer in proximity. The more time you spend with someone, the more time you familiarize with yourself, with a a person, a group of people, an entity, the more familiar it becomes to you. The few touch points I did have with my father's side before turn 26, and again, they were few and far between, I did feel uncomfortable. And Even it wasn't though, it, right. it wasn't because they weren't nice or they weren't loving. They were they are amazing people. They were really phenomenal in so many ways. I just didn't spend a lot of mm-hmm. time with them. So those few moments, I was trying to gain comfort yeah. in a really quick amount of time. And of course, I had needed to unpack. And um, again, we can save these. But for on other paper, pieces. I will yeah. say, like one would think you would feel more comfortable mm-hmm. given that they potentially look more like you Correct. than your mother. Side. Yes. So I do think comfort can come from who you identify with from a look perspective mm-hmm. or the feeling that you have around Bingo. people. Yep. 
Okay. Another listener question. How do you explain the inherent privilege he has to my white male son? Who's he? This is a listener question. So okay. the, the the child. I guess if you're raising a white male, mm-hmm. how do you explain to them the inherent privileges that they hold? I mean, first we have to define the word privilege mm-hmm. for, for our young people. And while certain peoples, whether it's based on wealth or gender or race, may carry certain privileges. In in some ways, we all privilege can be contextual. Right. Too, right. So I think as a family, having that conversation to talk about here's what privilege is and not use absolutes. I think one of the the, the dangerous pieces, or dangerous might be strong, one of the pieces where we can box ourselves in or when we use absolutes, but by giving space and room for growth is, a, is another opportunity, another option. So signaling to that young person, now privilege first, before we could ever get to privilege, I would ask, what are we doing first to talk about introducing who they are as a person, mm-hmm. knowing that if they are, as I'm assuming this question, just based on the way it was formed, you are a male. What does it mean to be a boy? You are white. What does it mean to be white? Here's our family. Here's our family structure. Mm -hmm. What is so, you kind of got to build that out because if we were to just go to, hey, you're white and you're male and you have privilege. They're not going to understand. That's a tough ask, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if we can scaffold out just like good teaching and build towards Um, I think that there could definitely be some opportunity there to have a productive conversation. And I think also, just to piggyback off of that, like Mm -hmm. the privileges, I think, can be things that are not as like huge or substantial to build in the concept of privilege where, yes, as you're saying, like it's building blocks where even something so simple where I mean, I notice this so much when I'm pregnant that I feel not as physically able as I once was, Mm -hmm. but little things like my husband is simply taller than me and I can't put things on the top shelf of something. Mm -hmm. So asking like, hey, can you put this up there? I can't reach. Not that that's like a privilege, but kind of inherently and starting something so simple where like there's no denying he's taller, he can Mm -hmm. reach something. I can't. Like there's a different starting point. If I want to step on a ladder, I can reach said thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't know. I just feel like there are ways to start the conversation around privilege, around things that aren't even necessarily race. And whether that's with a kid or like your boomer parent who is refusing that they hold white privilege. <laughs> and and I think, right, I, I would say even before getting to white privilege, let's just talk about privilege mm-hmm. in general. I have a dear friend of mine who I grew up, he's one of the those um, black male friends I've referenced. I've known him since before I entered uh, my school age days. He told me one time, and Cammy, I was incensed. He was like, do you know how much privilege you have? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I came from a single parent, mm-hmm. working class house. I'm going through all of these pieces. And it took me about a year and a half of reflection, conversations with him, eating some of my own identity, hearing, hearing others, right? And then I'm like, I do carry privilege. I went to the Princeton Day School. Mm -hmm. That is a privileged space. I was so blessed to have that opportunity. I got to go to college, undergrad, graduate school, Mm -hmm. receive support to attend those universities. That's a privilege I got. I'm tall. Tall in in American culture is a privilege. It is something that people desire. And when I had to take a step back, I'm like, I do carry privilege. I'm a male. Mm-hmm. In a male-dominated world, which I hope we can get to some more balanced equity in yeah. that. So even myself, it, of after all of these years of work, right? That's why I say diversity work is probably one of the most unforgiving, no, not unforgiving. It's one of the most maddening spaces because mm-hmm. you're never done. Well, I also think so many of us are oppressed oppressors. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really confusing to come to terms with. Yeah. As a white female. hmm as a black male, Mm -hmm. like there are spaces where you are going to potentially have more power than I would given your gender. And there are spaces where I'm going to have more power given my race. Absolutely. And it's a confusing thing to, I think for many people to work through. Mm -hmm. It can be a little disorienting. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. The last question I want to ask, and I know I said like boomer parent, but Mm -hmm. how do you 
recommend people talk to other people in their life who are going to be specifically spending time around their children. Yeah. Like, I feel very blessed that this is a topic that all four of Liam's grandparents deeply care about. Mm -hmm. And that we're not having arguments over this, but I realize that that's a privilege. Yeah. Many people are not experiencing that. How do you recommend these parents talk to their parents, grandparents, mm-hmm. or caregivers yeah. around like how they want to speak on this topic in front of their child? Yeah. I would say first, meet them where they are, right? I think sometimes in this work and in our spirit and in our efforts to be transparent, be fair, be just, and do the right thing. If we're outpacing those we're trying to work with, it can be scary for them. Mm-hmm. And it can be, they don't want to make a mistake. They want to love their family. They want to, they want to do all of the right things. And by no fault of their own, if there is a major age gap, and I'll use my mother's 68, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, she grew up in a different time. Your parents grew up in a different yeah. time. And when they're looking at their, when they're thinking of your child's experience, but through their lens and their upbringing, those spaces might not match because of the the, the natural time constraints of those two pieces. So meeting folks where they are, giving them opportunity to ask questions and not assign blame. Because I think sometimes when folks are, well, why is it being, why are we using this word today? Why are we saying people of color? What does it mean to be mixed, Right. Okay, give folks the opportunity to ask questions and give them honest feedback and honest answers. And there's one more point to that. Shoot. Well, I think open dialogue is really open, important. Open dialogue's important. Oh, forgive me. Also understanding people's values. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, That's something I've been leaning more and more into. If I know what you value, fairness, equity, opportunity, truth, honesty, whatever it may be, right? Um, by knowing our shared values, then we can come to the table and have a more nuanced and thoughtful conversation. And something I always share with folks too is in this work, you're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say something, even the most trained practitioner, and I've got a lot of work to do myself, by no means am I the oracle of all things (laughs) diversity, right? But giving myself that space and grace to, to grow, to learn, to move forward. Let's give that same opportunity, that same runway for folks who maybe haven't had that conversation until they've been in their 40s, 50s or older. Um, There's a lot of unlearning for a a lot of us to do. Yeah. And I think it's easy to be like, but you need to be here. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that, like, hopefully they're taking steps. And I think that's the biggest thing is like hope having the open dialogue of like, I want our child to be raised in a place where these are the values. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had this conversation about race, but I've had this conversation with my mom many times publicly, even on this podcast around body image. Uh If you speak like that around our children, you will not spend time around our children Mm -hmm. because that is a value that I have. I want them to love themselves no matter how they look. I don't want them to feel criticized or critical of others. Mm -hmm. And- that's great that you stated your values there too. Well, for, it, was like, it, it was like, <laughs> it was really what like made the difference. But I think figuring that out and stating that of being like, at the end of the day, you're in charge who your child spends time with for mm-hmm. the most part and who has access to your kid. Yeah. And so saying, I want you to be involved in this kid's life. I want you around, but I also want more for these values to be instilled in our household. Mm-hmm. So I would like you to try and meet me where we're at and helping them along the road of like, also, I'm not one that's afraid if someone says something to be like, that's not how that, that's not what we say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And give the why. And like, mm-hmm. because it like X, Y, Z. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that. Like, I can't believe you fucking said that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's like, uh, you can't say that anymore. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and using it as a teachable moment mm-hmm. to, to your point to say, Oh, you know what? Can't say that. Here's why, because right. this is what we value. And, and people have done it to me. And, and it's incredibly and it should helpful. Be a two, it should be a two-way street there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Paris, this was amazing. Thank you. This was so easy. <laughs> like, was, easiest it, interview ever. It, it, it's fun. I'm, I'm grateful. Well, first of all, cheers to you for having this platform. Thank you. Um, to see you and your growth and your family's growth. I'm grateful to just be along for the journey. Thank you. And well, you're gosh, my son's favorite person. <laughs> 17, 17 years or so. Isn't so it crazy? Here's to the next 17. It's crazy. Longer <laughs> yeah. 
over half my life. Yeah. I've been with him longer than I haven't. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for pulling You're some puppet welcome. strings in the background of my life <laughs> no, and getting me here. <laughs> no problem. No problem, my friend. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred 